The December 2018 general election in Bangladesh was marred by violence and allegations of vote rigging by the ruling Awami League, which won over 80% of the seats in the parliament. With virtually no opposition in the house and given the recent crackdown on the streets, the future of democratic governance in the country looks tenuous. In this episode of Himal Interviews, we met up with Kushi Kabir, a social activist and feminist who has been working on grassroots democracy in Bangladesh for over 4 decades. She spoke to our editor Anuhita Majumdar on the controversial December polls, the state of political and civic opposition, and the crisis of Bangladeshi democracy. Kushi Kabir, thank you very much for joining us for the Himal South Asian podcast uh, here in Colombo. Uh, Bangladesh has just had its elections, but the has been some controversy over the way the elections were conducted can you tell us why okay the main thing is that uh, people were a bit excited that at long last because in 2014 a major parties did not participate so it was very one sided so they thought that okay in this time we have a choice and we can decide who we want to vote for unfortunately and unnecessarily the present government who for reasons which all governments do do want to retain power went overboard and i think they went uh, uh it was unnecessarily done and we don't know who was responsible for having it such but it was all over the country almost bar certain areas i won't say that every center had the same situation but if i say that so i spoke to about people in 25 constituencies and except for two or three most places uh there was heavy uh i would rigging in the sense that the ballot boxes were either stuffed the night before so when people went to cast their vote in the morning their votes were already cast those who pushed and insisted that they would like to have their votes cast were given just a ballot paper to put their votes in those in those centers where people were giving their votes they were asked to stamp in front of the uh uh polling, officer. polling officer and requested to uh stamp on a particular symbol the ruling party symbol and uh, so you know there was so that's the reason why there's been you know uh, questions regarding it uh, and the results i think point to this pattern do they not absolutely there are uh, i think like uh, the jatiyo party which came out as the second largest party got 20 something for the seats out of 300 and they are part of the ruling party coalition so they decided not to be part of the coalition and part of the government but separate but that is after the election because the front the, the front of the opposition parties together got about i think about 7 seats and they've decided not to take the oath because it's been such a farce uh 
and the ruling party won all the rest. I think only uh, one constituency, there was no voting because the person who was one of the candidates died. So that's for later. And a few centres, voting was suspended. During the day of the elections, there was not so much violence. There was some. It, I won't say there wasn't any at all. But come, there always is violence in our part of the world. So, But it wasn't, I think, un, it wasn't something that was beyond the... Uh, in fact, it was less than we've seen in the past. But there was a lot of arrests and intimidation during the campaigning and pre-election, you know, election date itself. If I, I'll be quite frank and say about myself that I had to go online to find out who the candidates in my constituency were. Because except for the two parties, we knew who they were. I, there was, I had to find out how many con people were contesting and who they were. And it's only because there's, I made a point of going online to try and find out who my candidates were because no one came, no one, except for one party they came and the other party sent text messages. And Is this because of the curbs on the campaigning? And because there was, a, yeah, it was, there was inti intimidation by the ruling party. Four or five mm. areas that we know there has been violence. Some people and some post. Mm. Uh, not, not during the elections, mm. but post. Mm. Post one area which got a lot of coverage was this woman who was gang raped mm. because she defied the party yes. uh, you know, agent who insisted that she votes mm. in front of him for a particular candidate. Mm. And she, being stubborn, refused mm -hmm. and uh, put her seal elsewhere. She said, first she said she wouldn't vote anywhere unless it was the booth. When she was refused and she said, I will give my vote, but I'll give where I wish. At night, there was, she was gang raped. The government has taken a lot of, uh, taken very quick action in arresting, etc. Even the person who didn't rape her, but who initiated the rape, the polling agent. Mm -hmm. Uh, he was arrested, though he was not named in the first uh, report. So I will say the government took a lot of action. The government has paid for her uh, and is still paying for her treatment. But the government suddenly became very upset when we said it's poll-related. They were willing to do everything possible as long as it is a gag-rape issue and they're dealing with immediately. But if it's poll-related, they don't want to discuss that. And I think that's very foolish because what they could say that this person went out of the way. Yes, they, uh, the party dismissed him from the party. But we are saying even the, the uh, secretary-general of that area, who is the one who backed this polling agent, it's, that person also should be, you know, taken to task. But the fact that the government doesn't want to accept any cases of violence after the polls, related to polls, is something that they want to show that everything was very peaceful, which it never is. You've mentioned the ICT Act. Uh, that has, of course, been used 
by the government against civil society activists and yeah. journalists. And the elections are all also taking place or have taken place in Bangladesh after a prolonged period of authoritarianism. Oh, well, it's officially it's five years, like it always is. Like we had uh, from we had the movement in nineteen ninety two against uh, Ershad. Then ninety one there was elections. Ninety December there was elections. Or ninety one there were elections. No, I meant that. So you had five years. Government itself had become more authoritarian. The government is very intolerant of freedom of expression. The government came to power in two thousand and nine, and it and it got the majority seats. Previous to that, in two thousand one, BNP got a vast majority, to more than two thirds. The same happened in two thousand nine. The next election, vast majority. So, two thousand fourteen was a one-sided election. So, we've had the same party as the government from two thousand nine onwards. And when you have a government in power without an opposition, you're not going to have proper democracy. Mm. And unfortunately, this time around too, uh, it would have been, I think, wiser for the government to have had. A proper opposition, mm. you know. There's uh, you need an opposition for democracy too. But uh, what opposition there has been, and civil society has been very vocal. Students groups have been very vocal. So the government has not tolerated even mm. that kind of opposition. No, when uh, if we talk about one of the first mass movements to, that took place under the present. Regime government, two thousand thirteen, when the war crimes tribunal, which was called the tribunal against crimes against humanity, etc. So there was uh, because of a verdict given, which people assumed was manipulated verdict, and it was not a verdict that was fair. So citizens came onto the streets. But it was first; it was the youth. It was students' groups, and online activist groups so there's a network there are three networks of online activists major networks that are smaller networks but three major networks of online activists and a lot of the students groups all came onto the streets and which then meant became a huge nationwide movement what the government did was tried created a very effectively created a split Uh, remove them from the streets, uh, and of course, a movement like this on this can't be on the streets forever. So um, that movement, which could have had a lot of possibilities, and did try and take up issues of uh, violence against women, rape cases, etc., some very uh, uh, you know, which have been highly publicized. A young girl was raped in inside a inside a cantonment area. And uh, this uh, movement, where they went there, this group, the huge, it was a huge movement. They were stopped. They were not allowed to have meetings. So you know, I think the government felt um, wanted to give a message and felt very uh, insecure of anything that happened without their own control. Mm-hmm. 
So, because this was not a movement to topple the government. This was not a movement that was promoted or in any way, you know, supported by the opposition. So it was a totally independent movement of the youth. So even that was not tolerated. So, okay, there was no mass arrest or anything like that, but they had... But cases were also registered against yeah, a group of, of civil society people who yeah, were some, uh, yeah, criti- critical of the way the war But what happened is a lot of civil society activists who have been critical, there have been cases against them. And afterwards, where the smaller group, because the large movement didn't stay as a movement any longer, but there was a group that was still active there. Uh, there have been cases like uh, filed not by the state, but by individuals saying the slogans given were against uh, my mm. my leader and I feel insulted and then do a case. Or an ICT act was done by manipulating or misrepresenting what was stated uh, in their Facebook or any other social media. Uh, do you think the government's intolerance and this is the ruling party is one but I just mentioned that uh, apart from that big movement Mm -hmm. there were uh, two other movements that were very big Mm -hmm. and one was uh, the movement of you know students in universities Mm -hmm. uh, against the quota system saying that we want against the quota system I will clarify or in in the sense that's not saying to do away with the quota system but to review the quota system to make it more uh, objective mm. and where, uh, you know, everybody gets a good chance, especially merit, people with merit, because currently people with, uh, you know, because of the quota, a lot of people who would like to, who have merit, will not be able to get in because the quotas for certain sections, you know, for the government jobs like... Uh, for children and grandchildren of freedom fighters, the quota was much higher. Mm. And this is 47 years later. Mm. People were saying that, you know, you don't need such a high quota. Mm. And what you do is have it proportionate and have less. Mm. Uh, so you have yeah, for women, yes, you have for indigenous communities and other marginalized communities. And also you have a quota for the children and families of the freedom fighters, but don't make it so big that it becomes almost the majority, that everybody who gets into the government service would be from the quotas and a lesser amount from merit. So they were protesting that and it just took off. And this was not initiated by any political party at all. It was initiated by young people who just felt the need. And a lot of it was through social media. And because it reached very quickly the entire country, so that was again very brutally uh, uh, suppressed. suppressed and a lot of uh, arrests, a lot of arrests. Immediately after that, there were two students who were killed. And before that, there have been a lot of movements against the impunity that uh, public transport workers uh, get, like if there had been an accident. They, they have impunity. So a lot of people have been protesting mm. this. 
So when two students got killed, it suddenly blew up again. And I think it is when you're under authoritarian rule, a little thing can trigger off a bigger movement. And these were school students? These were school students at grade 11 Mm -hmm. or so. And uh, so this triggered off and became a very large-scale movement. And the way the government handled it was have its own uh, cadres Mm. beat up the students. So the ruling party member. The ruling party claims it's the opposition cadres who beat up the students. Mm. Whatever it is, they got beaten up. The police also were there sitting and we have video footage of them watching and people who were out on the streets saw it and they saw this was being done. And one of our best-known uh, photographers, you know, Shaydul mm-hmm. whose name has been mentioned again and again, because he gave his interview to the Al Jazeera who wanted to ask him what he was doing because he was on the streets phot- photographing. So he was picked up. And he had also used social media to broadcast some of the footage. Yeah, he did footage as well as his analysis. And then he was picked up mm. and uh, arrested. He was kept in jail for 107 days. Uh, I mean, there was a huge worldwide protest mm. uh, from all the big names, mm. Nobel laureates, people like Chomsky and uh, you know, Gayatri Spivak. Uh, Omar Tushen wrote a personal letter. So did Raghurai and you know, even uh, Mark Tully who was, uh, you know, they've all got these mm. Friendship of Bangladesh Awards and all that. So it didn't seem to have made much of a dent. Anyway, through the court processes, he did get bail. And he's out on bail now. Even going out on bail, they tried to delay his being Mm. brought out. But luckily, he did come out. Mm. And uh, so this was more or less for us, we think, a signal to say that no matter who you are. Because Shahidul, of course, is well known. Very well known. And Shahidul's father won the Independence Day Award, which is the highest award, mm-hmm. civilian award to be given mm-hmm. from by the state. And his mother got the Rokya Padok, which is, you know, for uh, an award given by the government, for by the state, for uh, work done on women's issues. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, both his parents have got the award mm-hmm. received by them on... You know, mm-hmm. by the current prime minister, in fact. Mm-hmm. So, and then what went viral, what was not broadcast was uh, when she went to the UN General Assembly and the Reuters had interviewed her. Mm-hmm. And she just said, uh, she made some very personal and uh, mm-hmm. remarks about Shoidul, uh, which was not becoming mm-hmm. of her. It was not broadcast, but it went viral on social media, and uh, which led to everybody realizing that there is a personal element to, element the... to it, this, to this whole thing. So, uh, it I think all these are sort of indicators to show that uh, we are going to be as 
uh, as autocratic as we wish to. And I think the fact of not even trying to conceal or make a make uh, any kind of a you know attempt of trying to state that this was a free and fair election, mm-hmm. that just to get away with uh, um, this kind of widespread uh, thing of the election is a signal to say that, you know, we don't really care. I mean, we don't have to go through this facade. We can just do what we wish to. Mm-hmm. And if there's any opposition, we'll uh, deal with it. Mm-hmm. Uh to me, that is the message that has been given. Because I first thought they were very unintelligent to have done it this way. Mm. But then I thought, no, I don't think it was unintelligent. Mm. I think they want to give us a message mm. that those of us who speak out and continue to speak out, that uh, it is something that you better be careful. Uh, it could happen to anybody. But this time during the elections, quite disparate uh, political parties came together to make an opposition I think that was a thing to say that let's all come together even if we are totally uh, opposed to each other ideologically on certain Mm. grounds for the simple reason that maybe that is the way we can uh, challenge and have an election Mm. a proper election but uh, you know the role of the UN has diminished and become so weak and even financially, the World Bank and ADB have to face a huge competition through the new powers that are coming up, especially China. And for us, China, Russia and India, for Bangladesh, mm. have been bilaterally supporting projects which others have declined. And we have had movements against and we've shown that these projects would be quite disastrous, detrimental to the country. And uh, so they don't need to listen to the World Bank anymore. So the force of international opinion has less... Has become less important now. If you talk about what was the major issue in the uh, election manifesto for Awami League, it was much more economic progress rather than social and like uh, if I look at the 2008 manifesto which was much more people or Mm. pro-people of course the manifesto is only the manifesto not Mm. to be Mm. implemented but at least you can Mm. go back and say your manifesto Mm. says this Mm. BNP on the other hand the manifesto was more like a press release Mm -hmm. from a press press conference it was so shabby Mm. And uh, it was like a four-page or five, mm. six-page document mm. saying, we're saying this on behalf of the our jailed head of the, gov- head of mm. the party, etc. Mm. But it was, uh, there was nothing much in it which showed, which to me as a citizen, I would say that the BNP was not very serious mm. they, in their uh, election so campaign. There's also a hollowing out of the traditional political forces. Yeah. And I don't know, I mean, BNP likes to say that they weren't allowed to, but at least the manifesto should have been something that well, had a bit more teeth to it and a bit more, well, you know, content in it and a bit more, uh, you know. Mm. So at least we could say that this is the manifesto. And they weren't allowed to, but they didn't even try to. 
Exactly. Mm-hmm. And I think that when countries like ours, the opposition has to find alternative means of trying to reach people. So what does this mean now for Bangladesh? You have a now a government for five years. We have a government, the same government. So this is and, the uh, third term that they'll be there. For democracy and democratic uh, voice, I think this is quite uh, disastrous. And I deliberately use the word disastrous rather than saying that it's problematic mm. or whatever. Because when you don't have an opposition, you're not accountable. You're not answerable. And you can... And a dictatorship is, uh, after a time, the you know, the court of a benevolent dictator is something I don't really uh, buy. Because... You can't be a benevolent dictator, no? You're a dictator. Mm. So you look at your own own interests. And uh, I don't see much space. Yes, I mean, I'm talking to you now and I don't worry about it. I talk in Bangladesh and I don't worry about it. Uh, So I'm not going to be in favor of one or the other. Or maybe they think that this voice is so insignificant that it's good to have one or two voices like that. But again, Shahidul was arrested. Why has the Awami League travelled such a long distance? They were the party associated with Bangladesh's... Liberation War. And democratic, secular credentials. They were Absolutely. a party which a lot this of is, civil society also reposed their... No, no, we were all were there. And 1971, 1971... They really had the massive support of the people. But after the unfortunate killing of Sheikh Mujib mm. and the uh, jailing and then the subsequent killing of the next generation of leaders who could have taken mm. Awami League or the country forward, deliberately done, uh, led to a whole from to 75 to 90. You had... Governments in power who tried to rewrite history, mm. try to sort of completely uh, annihilate Awami League as a party, bring in Islamist groups and others so that people's ideological thing and the whole time that Islamization, global uh, pan-Islamic brotherhood, and I del- deliberately said but brotherhood because I don't see much sisterhood in that at all. But uh, all that was globally coming and it was also being used very much. Mm-hmm. And Bangladesh, the, the secularism was taken out from the constitution and Bangladeshi meant a Muslim Bengali identity. It's not like the Bangladeshi meant the non-Bengali uh, small section of the population. We have the indigenous peoples mm-hmm. or the non-Bengali uh, people. So their rights are also you know, incorporated. It was not that at all because their rights were never mm. taken into consideration. It was giving a very strong Muslim image. Mm. And uh, so at the time of liberation, the non-Muslim population of Bangladesh was over 23 or so percent. Mm. And it's now come down to less than 10 percent. So it just shows the rapid decline mm. of the non-Muslim population. And it's not that we had a huge population growth rate. I mm. mean, our population growth rate is uh, one point something. Mm. So if you look at that and then you see 
the decline of the non-Muslims. Mm. It shows that there has been a deliberate attempt mm. to try and marginalize. And you think the, this transformed the Wami League too? I think the Wami League, when uh, they lost a 91 election, mm. which they thought they'd win, the a lot of the, you know, election propaganda that was given mm. was Awami League is a secular party mm. and not an Islamic party. Mm. And Awami League bought into that thing of trying to then project and appease mm. the Islamists. I think the Awami League tried to appease and is trying to appease all parties, I think, whether it's BNP or whether mm. it's Awami League. And I think in other countries too, not just Bangladesh. Mm. One is the, the military. Mm -hmm. Second is the business community. Mm -hmm. Third are the religious uh, mm -hmm. majority. Mm -hmm. So the religious majority becomes a huge vote bank. And you try to, you know, because people have this kind of a belief in religion. And so without thinking rationally as to does religion really say this and why should it be doing this, they just uh, mm -hmm. feed into that. So these three categories of people are the people who really matter. Mm -hmm. And Awami League's done the same. Mm. So if you ask me what is the difference between Awami League and BNP, mm. the difference I would say that BNP still keeps its linkages to Jamaat-e-Islami, which was directly linked with the killings and the atrocities in 1971. Mm. Otherwise, in terms of its economic or its other uh, issues of being secular, etc. I don't think it really... They still try to say they're secular, but I don't know. I don't see much secularism, except you can talk to them. Mm. And they'll try to pretend they're secular. Mm. And then maybe they'll listen to certain voices. So where do you think the opposition to the current, the current regime is going to come from? From the youth, from the young people. I think the fact that uh, even if they've been brutally, uh, especially mm. the last one, the students' mm. uh, movement mm. was very brutally dealt with, it's not going to be for long mm. before people move. But the problem with that is, uh, danger with that is rather than problem, the danger with that is if it's not political, then where do you go? I mean, unless you have a political agenda and an... So, I don't know. I think we're stuck with Awami League for another five years. Mm -hmm. We need to really uh, think about having another form of uh, how do we elect our governments mm -hmm. rather than the first past the post. If we look at the 2001 election where BNP won two-thirds of the seats, uh, the Awami League and opposition got only about 60 or so mm. seats out of 300. But Awami League got more percentage of votes than BNP. So so it's a completely like an op overturning of the popular verdict as yeah. well. But there's lots to talk about on this and we hope we'll have you back for many more conversations. Thank you very much. Mm -hmm.